the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. Get ready to take notes because school is now in session. Tackling the biggest issues in education, this is Education America. Save the classroom, save the country. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Abigail Johnson. Welcome to Education America, where we're working to save the classroom so that we can save the country. K-12 education is the playing field where the battle is on for the future of our country. As the 16th president, Abraham Lincoln succinctly stated, the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next. So good to be with you again, Abigail. It's good to be here. Yeah. And, you know, it seems we have so many great conversations with guests and they all are valuable. But one of the things that I think is going to be interesting about our guest tonight is how well that really ties in to Lincoln's quote, <laughs> because we are talking about the philosophy of education in the classroom. We sure are. <laughs> and we are welcoming to our studio for the first time, James Dickey. James currently serves as senior trial counsel at the Upper Midwest Law Center here in Minnesota. At the UMLC, their mission is to pursue pro-freedom litigation, you all. So they are doing the hard on-the-ground work. And James has a wide variety of litigation experience, and we are so excited to have him on the show today. We've talked a lot about the Minnesota Social Studies Standards. Rebecca and I have explained to our listeners quite a bit about the the troublesome content from an education perspective. And today, James is here to discuss it from a legal perspective. So James, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you both so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here chatting with you. Great. Well, before we get right into the social city standards, why don't we give you the opportunity to talk a little bit more about your firm, the Upper Midwest Law Center. It's a nonprofit, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah, we Upper Midwest Law Center, uh, where I work, is a nonprofit public interest law firm. Uh, we are 100% donor supported. Uh, we uh, don't charge our clients a dime for any of the work that we do, hmm. and we exist to uh, we bring lawsuits, we provide advocacy and counsel uh, to uphold liberty and the rule of law in Minnesota and the Upper Midwest. Um, so we are uh, fighting a lot of different fronts. You may, some of the cases you may have heard about that we've been involved in include. We won seven to zero in the Minnesota Supreme Court against the defunding, the legal defunding of the Minneapolis police. <laughs> and we also uh, were able to get a settlement agreement after defeating Governor Walls and Attorney General Ellison in court that uh, said that under COVID-19, you're, if, you're, if your target is open, then your house of worship is also open. Uh, so <laughs> thank you, please. Really, thank you. Thank you amazing. for doing that. <laughs> well, we're happy to do it. It's, we got to wake up every day with a smile on our face because we know that what we're doing is making a difference, and uh, we're really happy to do the work. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I just have to say, pretty surprising that you got a 7 yeah, um, <laughs> on yes. the defunding of the Minneapolis police out of the Minnesota Supreme Court. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's what I tell people. People people have come to me recently and said, oh, are you worried about, you know, the makeup of the court and how it's shifting? And, you know, that's an example of not necessarily. It just it depends really on the issue. Um, and there are certain issues that, you know, obviously the people's preconceived notions are going to get in the way of what I think is the right decision. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think in many cases, there are a lot of uh, legitimate bipartisan lawsuits that are brought that are for everyone's good in the court. uh, They're serious jurists and and they don't, they don't just rubber stamp whatever the left is saying. Mm -hmm. In all honesty, that does give me some comfort. Mm -hmm. I do remember working with Paul Thiessen, now Justice Thiessen, many years ago when he was the lead of the DFL party down at the Minnesota House of Representatives. And I do remember a lot of late night fiery floor speeches that he gave. Yeah. And I remember when he was appointed to the court, I thought, uh huh. <laughs> okay. And and it's and, and and truly I that does give me comfort to hear that I mean, that was the role that he was in at the time. That was you know, he was serving the the role he was supposed to play. So I it is it does my heart good to know that as he's in this new role, um, hopefully he is um Taking a balanced viewpoint. Yes, mm-hmm. be, you know, mm-hmm. calling balls and strikes appropriately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so well, that's you good. know, I've, I've got to argue against him twice in the next two months, uh, so I'm not going to say anything <laughs> about him one way or the other. <laughs> how, how great he is and how he should just con- he should just vote in favor of whatever my position is. Yes, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> well, hopefully he has a wonderful breakfast the morning of your yeah. arguments. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, well, let's let's move on and just, you know, very quickly, I want to reiterate our thanks to you, um, a 100% donor-supported organization that is not charging a dime for your clients. That's That alone is a hard task, much less staying on top of all the cases and making sure that you're filing all the briefs and, um, you know, just it's it's got to be a lot. And so... Um, I just want to say thank you for doing that, and I applaud you for doing that. Thank you. And, we're, again, we're happy to do it. Uh, for those who, who don't aren't familiar with us or want to know more about us, go to umlc.org. You'll be prompted to sign up for our mailing list. Uh, we send out a weekly newsletter to keep you updated on our cases. And I've also got a podcast that I do uh, oh. with my colleague, Allie Howell, and, and Doug Seaton on uh, Alpha News That's that you can watch on Rumble, you can watch on YouTube, you can also listen to it uh, through the Alpha News dot org website so oh, that's fantastic uh, if you want to know, yeah if you want to know more about us you got other ways to find out okay that sounds great we'll let you reiterate that at the end if there's time too so sure. moving on into the conversation regarding the social studies standards um the process on this has taken a while and thankfully so given the drastic change that it's bringing about if they do get uh ultimately approved um, but I believe the whole process started a couple years ago, and um, I won't go into too much detail about that because we've covered it so much on so many other shows. Um, but suffice it to say, the final drafts were written and produced, or, or not produced, but turned in to the um, law judge who finally then ruled in, I think, early January of this year that they did not follow the proper procedures to be able to be approved. And my understanding now is that it goes up from this Judge Lipman to 
another level. Can you just tell us a quick summary, first of all, of where are things at and, and kind of what happens next? Yeah, so Judge Lipman uh, actually just, just issued uh, his decision on the standards uh, this week. And oh. um, and then the chief administrative law judge, Jenny Starr, uh, who essentially sits kind of in a, a almost like an appellate situation where she's watching to, you know, and, and confirming his analysis. Okay. Um, and Judge Lipman um, held that part of the uh, standards as written were not appropriate, uh, in part because they were essentially forcing kids, uh, regardless of grade level, to engage in, you know, things like resistance, uh, as that's Mm -hmm. defined in the the, uh, proposed standards, Um, and and essentially forces people, forces kids, and forces the school districts and forces students to engage in activism. Um, which which we believe is you know unconstitutional and also contrary to the law in Minnesota, and so at this point, um, because they've identified a defect in the standards, the Department of Education now has the opportunity to revise the standards to be consistent with what the administrative law judge decided, um, and that does not end the the uh, the matter because of course there's always the possibility of lawsuits being filed over whether or not these standards, in fact, do comply with state and federal law. Um, but uh, at this point the, in the process, that is that is where things are at. Okay. Um, it's interesting because I saw this back in January. So the fact that it, you're saying it just came out, maybe just the whole reasoning behind the um, decision must have come out just this week because we were wondering yeah. what was the reasoning. We were excited to see that. So, mm-hmm. um, So that being the case... This could be this could go on for quite a while. They were supposed to eventually take effect, I think, in 2025. Now we'd be probably looking at 2026 if they're able to get them approved. Otherwise, they have to go back to the drawing board, and it could take a couple of years again, right? Yeah, you know, it depends on what. I mean, first it depends on what they do in response to the judge, um, and and the reasoning was provided. What I'm talking about is the chief administrative law judges opinion, uh, but there certainly were discussions a couple weeks ago, as you mentioned, about the specific uh, defects that Judge Lippman found. Um, but the, uh, the, you know, if, if a court were later to say, hey, you know, these are not appropriate, they would have to go back to the drawing board or at least radically amend them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at least at least in our view, they, they really should be radically amending these, these yeah. proposed standards. Yeah. Yeah. So then let's get into that a little bit. What were, you know, your uh, president and founder, Doug Seaton, wrote um, an 18-page co- set of comments on these standards to Judge Lipman, and I'm sure was integral in helping Judge Lipman see some of these problems. Uh, do you want to highlight some of the key issues you mentioned at one point, the resistance? Do you want to talk a little bit more about what some of the other key issues are or even even what that is and how young of an age that they were expecting kids to do this? Yeah, I'm happy to do that. So first, I do want to give uh, Doug his uh, his credit. I mean, Doug is not only a lawyer, but he's also a Ph.D. in history and a former teacher. And he, in fact, was uh, in, he had experience teaching uh, diversity principles and minority history as part of a multivaried team to high school teachers in Minnesota and Wisconsin years ago. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Doug, Doug has some serious uh, bona fides yes. related yeah. to education itself and is uh, a lifelong learner himself and, 
You know, I'm not just saying this because he's my boss. He actually yeah. he really knows his stuff. Yeah. That's right. Um, I do that with my boss, too, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> that happens no. She's to sitting me. across from me. <laughs> I love it. I love That's it. funny. Well, but, but, you know, to, to get to the more specific question you have about what the problems we see, the first that I already mentioned is that, you know, standards under Minnesota statute in, for social studies for any, for any um, subject have to be grade level appropriate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for example, you have an economic inquiry standard that are part of these new standards that is applied across the board, regardless of grade level. And it says use economic models and reasoning and data analysis to construct an argument and propose a solution related to an economic question. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, you know, my three-year-old is just a couple of years away from kindergarten and I <laughs> yeah. cannot foresee her somehow doing that at some point. Right. Now, right. if we're talking about raising the bar for everyone, I, I certainly can sort of appreciate that, but it, it, this is really just emblematic of the whole problem that these were kind of um, cut down from from uh, focusing on what is appropriate at a grade level to make things, you know, way too general. Yeah. So that's what's one of the one of the problems that, that we have with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as, as well, there, there's also, I think the probably the, the worst part about them has to do with what essentially results in compelled speech yes. um, for younger students especially. And, you know, I mentioned the resistance one. The resistance uh, subpart 6B says the student will describe how individuals and communities have fought for freedom and liberation against systemic and coordinated exercises of power locally and globally. The student will identify strategies or times that have resulted in lasting change. Then also the student will organize with others to engage in activities that could further the rights and dignity of all. <laughs> um, and of course, you know, depending on your teacher, the rights and dignity of all may look very different one mm-hmm. classroom to the other. Right. Um, so I don't think that's really, you know, I really don't, I think there's a real problem there. Not only are you compelling action on behalf of students, uh, perhaps against their will, but uh, in a way that's not consistent with, you know, curricular goals but you're also potentially opening it up, opening schools up to be a laboratory of, you know, kind of social resistance that they're not intended to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also there's another subpart 6C that talks about the student will use ethnic and indigenous studies uh, methods and sources in order to understand the roots, roots of contemporary systems of oppression and apply lessons from the past in order to eliminate historical and contemporary injustices. And again, I, I think it's unclear what exactly is being asked of students. Mm-hmm. Um, are they actually are they simulating political activism? Are they actually engaging in political activism? But there's no way a teacher could assess, you know, whether a student's application of the material in the class is actually effective at eliminating an injustice. Right. That's just not that's just not appropriate. Mm-hmm. What what if the student um, wants to go to the Minnesota March for Life? Does that count? Yeah, right. do they get credit well, I mean, for that? Mm-hmm. If that were, if that's the case, I would say at least that there's some, uh, you know, diversity of, of thought going on in the classrooms uh, mm-hmm. of the Minnesota public schools where these standards, you know, are, are generally are mainly applied. But um, I think that the, that it's open question whether or not that would qualify. And you know, I think it depends in part on how the Department of Education views that standard, mm-hmm. and that's a problem in and of itself. Uh, and perhaps perhaps it's a problem for a, for a later day, but it's still a problem. Mm-hmm. Well, and even so, even if it did count, to be expecting that type of activity, because as you pointed out, these are generalized standards that go all the way down into kindergarten. I mean, yes, they're applied slightly differently all the way through, but I've read those standards, and they are basically pushing activism on kids as young as yeah. kindergarten and first grade. 
And what kind of learning is that? Um, you know, they're not yeah, there exactly. to become activists in first grade. They're there to learn how to read, write, and do math and learn about history, learn about the government governmental process. And when it comes to the social city standards, there were already four strands, and then they're trying to add this fifth strand called ethnic studies, right. while, while also integrating all of this DEI into the other four strands. <laughs> so, yep. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Exactly right. And, you know, you know, the way they the way they're trying to get away with this, you know, the statute, the statute only requires the Department of Education to submit standards. There's another entire category of of uh, that applies to what what teachers actually teach in schools called benchmarks. Mm-hmm. And so it, historically, in, in the past, when there have been comments made, the uh, the administrative law judge has been quick to point out, well, we're not talking about benchmarks, we're talking about standards. Well, okay, that was back when the standards, including the former uh, version of the standards that has that is being changed right now, included different standards for different grade levels. Right. But but now the benchmarks are the ones that are broken down by grade level. And, you know, essentially what it seems like the Minnesota Department of Education is trying to do is to kind of almost uh, open a massive loophole in the statute to allow uh, a judge to basically just say, okay, well, you know, these are objective, grade, appropriate, measurable, so on and so forth, Um we don't get to look at the benchmarks, where, even though that's where the rubber hits the road. Mm. And I don't think that, I think that if you're going to try to truncate and, you know, shorten up all these standards into these broad categories that are supposed to apply across every grade level, then, then they're not, they're inherently not grade level appropriate. But then if you want to, if you want to analyze them from the, from the perspective of the benchmarks, Boy, do those benchmarks have a lot of political activism and and really bad stuff in them. So, I, and I think that's where the judge really should be looking because these standards are so poorly done in terms of making them grade level appropriate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. I'm glad you created that distinction in our listeners' minds um, that you know standards are supposed to be grade level appropriate. They're not supposed to be this general standard that gets applied to all grades. So. Um, I actually hadn't thought about that. I did notice that they had reduced the number of standards from yeah. previously. And I think they used that argument to say, oh, we're simplifying it. And don't you think that was part of their, their uh, hope? I, that's the stated, that's yeah. the stated reasoning, yeah. uh, I think. But yeah. I, I, <laughs> yeah, no, I, mean, I think in it's, our, in our, yeah. <laughs> well, in our comments, there's, we, we, we call this out. And they, they basically contradict themselves throughout. And, and they also make references to the benchmarks throughout the standards in a way, in their sonar, their statement of need and reasonableness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's just, it's you know, they're, they're playing kind of a shell game here is, mm-hmm. is how I describe it. Yeah, yeah, really good. Um, one of the other things that you commented on, or, or I guess I should say, um, Mr. Seaton commented on Doug. I guess I forgot his first name there for a second. Um, was the issues with the proposed standards um, related to learning? Um, they were quoting that the 2023 Minnesota Comprehensive Assessments show that 50.3 percent of examined students fall below the grade level reading standards while 54.7% do not meet the grade-level math standards. And this is statewide, by the way. Um, I think people think, oh, that must be, you know, 
some school districts. No, these are statewide results. Only 50% of those students are at reading grade level and 54% do not, 54.7 do not meet the grade level math standards. So I think the question is, what are we doing about that and why are we focusing so much on on these social study standards um, that are, by the way, not promoting learning um, even more? So now we're going to run into the same problem with the social study standards, correct? Yeah, I mean, you know, if you're the, the whole point, I think, and what I think the legislature intended when it created this method where you have local school districts that are responsible for curriculum, you have the state that's responsible for standards that the curriculum has to meet. The concept is you don't want to have any school left behind, right? Mm-hmm. And the fact is that almost every school is being left behind. And uh, the reason why why are public schools being left behind? I mean, we can all speculate, right? You can you can look at the number of administrators that are now in public schools as opposed to teach that have increased while teachers have remained stagnant. Um, you can look at these kind of I mean, and it doesn't seem to matter how much money you throw at the problem. There's always this constant refrain of that schools aren't fully funded, even though, in fact, there's billions and billions of dollars being thrown at them, and they're the top line item in our entire budget as a state. Mm-hmm. But the fact is that when you when you come down to it at the end of the day, kids are not being taught what they need to learn at each grade level. And so, you know, it's a failure. It's a systemic much as anything else and mm-hmm. you, you contrast the public schools and what they're doing with schools you know uh, that are you know private schools that are being successful whether it's you know Liberty Classical Academy whether it's Providence whether it's uh, Legacy Christian Academy and schools like that I mm-hmm. mean there's a lot of, of, of clear success stories out there in terms of schooling that's not happening in the public school and why I think a lot of it has to do with that with the fact that we're being driven by ideology and not by measurable, objective learning assessments and then enforcement of those learning assessments Mm -hmm. at a grade level appropriate way. Mm -hmm. I 100% agree with you. Um, We have a parent at our school right now who was previously, previously had her children enrolled in a public school and was concerned about the reading scores um, of her daughter and just got curious. Hmm. I wonder how our district fares. And so right. she she wrote a note to the superintendent and just said, "I I was I'm having trouble finding how our students performed in this district on reading, and I'm just curious. You know, how are our students doing in both reading and math?" And he wrote back and basically avoided answering the question. And she's actually shown me a letter that she received from him, and he just said, well, you know, we no longer judge the success of school districts by how they are doing on the Minnesota comprehensive exams. We are now evaluating district success on the basis of um, student attendance, which is shocking. Um, Yeah. like showing up. Yeah, they're showing up. Oh, that means we're successful. Oh, boy. Uh, rah, rah. And I, I, I wish I had this letter in front of me right now because I don't remember what the other two things were. But they, they said, you know, these Minnesota comprehensive, comprehensives no longer take a front seat to evaluating district success. 
And so, yeah. you know, here we're, we're, we're crying out saying, wait a minute, these kids are not learning to read. They're not learning to do their math. And we're, we're looking at these social studies ch- standards, you know, bringing in more of the same that is causing a lack of success. And, and yet they just say, well, just, you know, don't look over here. Look over here. <laughs> look somewhere else. We're going to evaluate the success of the district completely differently. And in the meantime, who are the losers? It's the kids. Yep. And, exactly. And they get yeah. one chance at an education. One chance. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, another another quick story since we have a little bit of time here. I just met with a couple yesterday who was invited as they're, – they're pretty big business people. They were invited to go in and help sophomore students in one of the districts in the Twin Cities practice interviewing for jobs. And they had done it that morning, and I met with them yesterday afternoon, and they were appalled, absolutely appalled at what the lack of ability to communicate was. Um, they right. didn't even know where to start with these kids. And, of course, they were, they were practically in tears over it. Like, mm-hmm. what's happening to our schools? Yeah. Um, and that is frightening, and I think people need to realize your child might be getting straight A's in some school district, but that doesn't mean they're actually learning. And um, we have to start really looking more closely at how are these students faring on tests of like math and reading and science and history and and how can we improve? And so anyway. Yeah, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, yeah. from my perspective, you know, just not even thinking as a lawyer, just thinking as a citizen of Minnesota, you know, I know people can say whatever they want about standardized testing, but you have to know something to answer the question correctly on standardized testing unless you're just the luckiest person in the world, which we know statistically would be impossible. Mm-hmm. So they are they are valuable benchmarks. And, you know, what you described of, of the, the school district administrator or mm-hmm. superintendent who wouldn't answer the questions, um, you know, like I said before about the standards, this is a shell game. Mm-hmm. Look over here, look over there. And yeah. at the end of the day, the parties are the school district, the state, the teachers union, and this kind of triumvirate. They all play the shell game. And the only thing I see are increasing salaries at Education in Minnesota, mm-hmm. as was recently reported. Yes. So, yes. you know, to me, it, 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 there are obvious problems uh, in public education. A lot of it is because there's a lack of accountability. There's a lack of measurable um, standards for what exactly t- kids are supposed to be learning they're not and they're not achieving them because people are more interested in playing the shell game getting more money as opposed to getting results mm. so heartbreaking so heartbreaking well do you have any last comments we're actually down to just over a minute um, left in this show today and then we're gonna have you back again for our next show next week so that we can continue com- conversing about this but from a different perspective with the teachers uh, licensure rules, but do you have anything, one last comment that you want to make here, or do you want to do another plug for Upper Midwest Law Center here in our last minute or so? Well, I always want to make a plug for Upper Midwest Law Center, but, uh, <laughs> but my, I really want to thank you all for your your work in advocating for the interests of students and parents, you know, and that those are the people that are um, rule makers, the Med- Department of Education, our legislators, our local school districts, that's who's supposed to be served. That's who is, at the end of the day, paying the bill mm-hmm. uh, through their property taxes and through their income taxes to the state. 
And, you know, I really appreciate your work because you're advocating for them. And it seems like even though they're the, the main client, they're not getting served uh, by the current system. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. As, and as for us, you know, I we, we are happy to, to be involved in this process. We think the social study standards in particular is really important for Minnesotans. We intend to do something about them if the Department of Education doesn't fix them. And uh, if you want to follow along with what we're doing, go to umlc.org. You'll be prompted to enter your email address to get our newsletter. Uh, and also, if you are so inclined or if you have a rich uncle you know, please uh, <laughs> donate, donate to us because we do it all for free for our clients, but we're totally dependent on donors. Go to umlc.org slash donate and uh, please uh, uh, t- give something in. Thank you so much. We appreciate it, James, and have a great night. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.